Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. It's Friday, November 6th, and this is an episode that has nothing to do with the presidential election. I've been helping out in the newsroom this week, so today we're sharing something from our archive. It's about a topic that I think, and dearly hope, is just not partisan in any way. And it's quite timely right now. I'm talking about heating your house with wood. Here's our episode from January 2019. So... You want to test yours? Yes, testing. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. I went into the studio with my colleague Emily Corwin to hear about her trip to meet this month's question asker. Okay, so so I I drove to Coco and Emmett Mosley's house, and um, I mean the whole thing from the very beginning. Oh, it's gorgeous. Was just like see the snow on the pine trees on the mountains. The most Vermont experience. <clears throat> We're in the national forest here. There are signs that say National Forest. You're at the... The Green Mountain National Forest? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yes. And you're at the end of a dead-end road, and then... Oh, that must be her house. Just a very cute red farmhouse. You know, I get out of my car, and immediately it's just like... It smells so good. Wood smoke. (laughs) Um, And it smells delicious, and I'm walking up... Hello! And these barking dogs come and run at me and say hello. And then, like, a rooster starts, uh, what's the sound a rooster makes? Uh, crowing? Yeah. And, um, I'm Emily. Hey, I'm Emmett. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Coco inside? She is, yeah. I walk inside, and Coco Mosley greets me with a five-week-old baby. Oh, who is this? This is Louisa. She was actually born on the day we were supposed to have our woodstacking party. (laughs) So she, like, sets me up with tea, and we go into the living room, and in the living room... Oh, my God, this is the most beautiful... ...is this... ...wood fire... (laughs) ...enormous, ornate wood stove. Pretty much where we live all winter. Eventually she asks her husband, Emmett, Do you know what year this stove was... Uh, when it was built, uh, I think probably the 40s. Oh, okay. Uh, 40s or 50s, yeah. Okay. So it's an old, so it's old stove. Mm-hmm. And Coco explains, you know, the reason I wrote in was in part because wood heat is our primary heat source, and it's the only chore we do year-round. And they have a, I think it's like 100 and maybe 30 acres of land and emmett manages all of the woodlot so, so wow okay we basically spend pretty much the whole year thinking so about wood each one of these stacks felling trees skidding trees summer buck them up into 20 inch sections split splitting stacking <laughs> bringing in the I house can, like it's just this continuous cycle and she's she's curious i assume that there's of course some positives to not relying on fossil fuels but you know what what else um what else is part of the story here another perfect question asker i know she really is (laughs) she really is (laughs) 
Welcome to Brave Little State, BPR's people-powered journalism project. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been submitted and voted on by you, our audience, this month. What are the environmental and economic benefits of wood heat in Vermont? And then what are, what are the costs to that? To answer Coco Mosley's question, we talk heating technology and air quality and forestry and sustainability, all in a state that loves heating with wood. Vermont leads the country in terms of number of primary residences that heat with wood by percentage. We have support from the VPR Innovation Fund. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. So, Coco Mosley and her family just love heating with wood. And honestly, who doesn't? The coziness of the fire, the glow of the flame, the romance of stacking wood, and the good old Yankee pleasure of working with a fuel that heats you twice, or three times, or however many times you have to schlep it around. Plus, if you have woods on your property, you've got free heat. Now, I have a wood stove, and I love it. In fact, I feel pretty biased as we set out to answer Coco's question. So I'm basically going to be the good cop in this episode. And my colleague Emily, who introduced us to Coco... I'll be the bad cop. Right, which kind of fits, Emily. You are our investigative reporter. That's true, and so I'll mostly be focused on the cons of heating with wood. And there are cons. Yes, and we will get to those... But let's start with some pros. As far as the benefits of wood heat go, you couldn't find a more enthusiastic proponent than Emma Hansen. We can feel great about heating with wood. Emma is the wood energy coordinator at the Vermont Department of Forests, Parks, and Recreation. Wood fuel is great because in Vermont, you know, where we're blessed with 78% forested landscape, it is our local re- renewable sustainable resource. Emma can tick off sparkly statistics about heating with wood like it's her job because it is. My favorite thing to point out when I'm talking about wood heat in Vermont is that when Vermonters heat with fossil fuel, 78 cents of every dollar leaves the state. Whereas when we heat with locally sourced wood, the inverse of that is true. So all that money stays right here in our communities, creating jobs for our neighbors, retaining local wealth. It's all those fuzzy feel-good things you get when you buy produce from the farmer's market. Emma has stickers on her laptop that say, local wood, local good, and buy local, burn local. She says in addition to keeping money in the Vermont economy, heating with wood is almost always cheaper. While the price of fossil fuels goes up and down, you see wood fuels just sort of happily chugging along with the price of inflation really predictably and really affordably. So those are two big economic benefits. As for the environmental benefits, obviously, when you burn wood, you're not burning fossil fuel. You know, wood heat is a lot more sustainable than waiting for more dinosaurs to decompose and create more oil for us. And I think we all think of wood heat as pretty green, right? I mean, trees? 
Unfortunately, it does have some environmental drawbacks, which bad cop Emily is going to get to later on. But as far as the state of Vermont is concerned, wood heat is one of the keys to meeting our goals around renewable energy. Which brings us to another environmental benefit that Emma talked about. Pretty much every presentation I give, I point out that I work for the Department of Forest, Parks, and Recreation. And the reason that the Department of Forest, Parks, and Recreation has a vested interest in burning more trees, which can kind of catch people by surprise. Why would you be interested in that? And it's because of forest health. This might seem counterintuitive, but Emma says that the best way to take care of Vermont's forests is to log them sustainably. Because if you don't, if there's not a strong logging industry, the forests might not always be forests. Vermonters love our landscape and love it looking the way it looks. And most of the forest here is privately owned. And so in order for that to work, those landowners need to be able to make that small amount of income to have those healthy markets for both the high and low grade wood from their land. And that's how we keep it all working. High and low grade wood. These are important categories in forestry. High-grade wood is basically what carpenters use. Two-by-fours, flooring. And then low-grade wood is for cordwood or wood chips. Or in our area, traditionally, would go to the paper mills. And the paper mills have really struggled in recent years, which has been really hard. Because without a demand for both types of wood, high-grade for carpentry and low-grade for firewood or wood chips, people who own forest land can't get as much value out of it which means they're more likely to develop it. And it might just be five acres here and five acres there, but that's when you start to see these smaller and smaller parcels. And according to a Harvard study that came out almost two years ago now, so Vermont's losing 1,500 acres of forest a year to rural and suburban development. And that's what we're concerned about. So there needs to be a market for wood fuel in order for our landscape to sort of maintain its character. Exactly. And in order to achieve that, we all need to be burning more more wood to keep our forests in a more healthy and, I guess, unfragmented state. Exactly. To get a better sense of what sustainable forestry looks like, I head to a logging job. I started this business about 10 years ago, and my father's been doing it for probably 45 years or better. 40 too many. 39 too many. (laughs) I meet Jordan Pratt and his father Don in the Mount Mansfield State Forest in a valley behind Smuggler's Notch ski area. Jordan's business, Pratt's Forest Management, has a contract with the state to log here. If we had everything cleared off and we were working, we'd be cutting in the woods and pulling timber. Unfortunately, Jordan and Don aren't working on the day I visit because there's rain in the forecast and their skid tracks aren't frozen in. But Jordan explains the basic concept of selective timber management. If you go into a section like this and you've got a lot of old growth timber, take some of it out, leave some of it to grow. Take some of your younger generation that's not growing into good stuff, use that mainly for your firewood or chipwood, or, and try and use every bit of it you can. People often use the terminology, they'll, they'll say, well, doing good forest management is kind of like weed in the garden. You want to harvest some of your vegetables, but you want to make sure that you're pulling the weeds as well. Paul Frederick is the one who drove me up the snowy road to get here. He works with Emma Hansen as the state's wood utilization and wood energy program leader. That low-grade material is, is sort of the weeds, and there's only just so much sunlight to go around in a, in a forested stand. 
and uh, letting the the better quality wood have that that sunlight helps it grow a little faster and a little better. The state sets conditions that loggers have to agree to if they want to log on state lands. If you don't follow best practices, you can get shut down. Pratt's forest management has a good relationship with the state, and thanks to solid demand for firewood, Jordan Pratt says his business is in good shape too. Nowadays, we pull a lot more low-grade than we do high-grade wood. And as far as forest management and local jobs go, that's a good thing. Here's Don. Oh, I think this market, the firewood market, has helped a lot of loggers survive. It got to the point to where it's like, yeah, do we go to work today? Your older generation pretty well creamed most of the high-grade logs as far as I was concerned. You know, that's what they focused on because there was no market for firewood. and no big. They couldn't make a living off it, let's put it that way. And nowadays, it's for us, our firewood is more what we make most of our money on. I think the younger generation is making a big difference in this too. They just don't want to see coal being burnt, oil being burnt. If it's not renewable, don't do it. It's just like watching these all these uh, solar panels going up. You know, it's no different. You're seeing just, I think this is just the beginning of it. It's not just individuals who've grown more interested in heating with wood. Institutions have, too. Emily picks it up here with a visit to Goddard College in Plainfield. Goddard College was built on a 200-year-old farm. The buildings look antique. But if you go up one snowy gravel road, there's a big, brand-new building. The siding looks fresh from a lumberyard. Smoke billows out of the chimney. And inside, it is loud. This is a state-of-the-art wood chip boiler plant. It opened at the end of last year, and it heats 21 of Goddard's 23 heated buildings, all from right here. Are you Scott? Uh, yeah, yeah. Emily, nice to meet you. Hi, Emily. Scott Blanchard was, until recently, Goddard College's facilities director. He actually just took a job with Messersmith. That's the Michigan company that manufactured this machinery. But Scott spent the last decade here, making this boiler plant a reality. This is what tells the machine to go, this sensor. Everything is automated in a beautiful kind of industrial choreography. And it fills this bin with chips. Sensors tell a motor to move an auger. That pulls wood chips onto a conveyor belt, which travel up Whoa. and then into the furnace. Look at that fire. And this is how, what keeps it clean burning. Next to the furnace is a big metal tank. It captures tiny particles of tar, soot, and chemicals that would otherwise go up the chimney. The idea is to reduce air pollution. This cleaning device was not required, and it was a third of the project's $2.5 million price tag. You'll hear a tank, 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 a little rapping. Scott beams as he describes each part of the process. A fuel stove like you have at your house probably burns at 40% efficient. This burns at like 93% efficient. Yes, yeah. yeah. But not everyone thinks wood heat, even high-tech boilers like this, are a good idea. To understand why, we have to go back in time for a minute. 
Before there was the boiler plant, every building at Goddard had an oil furnace. We were burning 62 to 65,000 gallons of fuel oil a year. It was expensive, especially back in the mid-2000s. Then, in 2007, Goddard College signed a climate pact with other schools. So it was basically a commitment to reduce our carbon footprint, our carbon usage. Goddard's goal was to be carbon neutral by 2020. Thus, the college started down the path toward wood heat. It was premised on the following theory. Any carbon that you do release is re-sequestered. You know, if you cut a tree down, there's another tree is going to grow. So theoretically, it's carbon neutral. As your bad cop, let me introduce to you someone who doesn't share Scott's enthusiasm. <laughs> you see these two big trees going up in the field? Yeah. Rhea Wilson and her husband live 300 yards away from Goddard's new heating plant. Between the two trees, that's the building. Rhea was briefly vice president of Goddard College back in the 1970s. But she and her husband first learned about the project at a community meeting for neighbors. This was roughly a decade ago. And actually, my first thought was, like everybody in Vermont, was, oh, what a nice idea. She was into it. Everybody was saying that it was renewable and green and much better than oil. And why not? Then what happened next? Then I started doing the research. And the first thing I think that we came into were the health worries because of the particulates and all that sort of stuff. Rick, Rhea's husband, he has lung disease. And as Rhea's researching wood boilers, she starts reading about what happens in the body when you breathe the tiny particles in wood smoke. And she finds out even operations like Goddard's might not be capturing the tiniest and possibly the most dangerous particles. But as we're learning about that, we're learning that on the CO2 stuff, on the global warming stuff, on the carbon, it's awful. It wasn't just air quality that concerned the Wilsons. In fact, in the middle of all that research, we took out the wood stove that we had in the house because we got so worried about the the health issues and the environmental issues. They replaced their wood-burning stove with liquid gas, propane. And they joined with neighbors to try to get Goddard to move the plant further from their neighborhood. The efforts delayed the project, but ultimately failed. The pushback to wood heat isn't limited to neighbors and their NIMBY concerns. It's actually something our question asker Coco is also wondering about. The other part of my question is that um, this past winter... So Coco says last winter she got a job working for a guy who has a blog promoting wood heat, including automated pellet boilers. And I started sort of helping him do a little outreach to other environment, environmental organizations and started to become really aware that not everybody's on board. So I, I think that, you know, the, it's not entirely clear whether wood heat is... Where it, where it's helpful and where it hurts, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Got it. There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot there. To find out where wood heat hurts, and if Rhea Wilson is right that it's awful. Hi, Emily. Oh, there you are. Hello. Yes. I call up Zoe Chafe. So I'm a postdoctoral associate, a researcher at Cornell University. Zoe has degrees in both energy and public health. She was the lead author on a World Health Organization report about wood heat, and she helped write the chapter on climate change and health for the UN Climate Panel's 2014 report. This is her bailiwick. So I ask her, 
Is smoke from burning wood safe? We're most worried about the tiny, tiny little particles. The bits of matter in smoke that are smaller than 2.5 microns wide. These are called PM2.5. What happens is that the particles can go deep into our bodies and um, they can travel so deep into our lungs that they actually cross over into our blood and the smallest ones can even go into our brain. Terrifying. Studies show these compounds can be carcinogenic and they can lead to and exacerbate heart disease, lung disease, and asthma. In the health community, we are certain at this point, I mean, all evidence points to the fact that there is no safe level of exposure to particulate matter, to PM2.5. And so even down to the very lowest levels that we can measure, it's better to be exposed to less PM2.5 rather than more PM2.5. Yikes. Zoe says breathing wood smoke is worse for kids, elderly people, and anyone with heart or lung problems, like Rhea Wilson's husband, Rick. Um, Do you ever feel like the Grinch telling the world that wood smoke, which is so delighted in, is actually bad for you? Absolutely, all the time. <laughs> it's it's a hard topic to work on because it's not a fun thing to communicate. Like I said, I really do enjoy having wood fires. There are some moderating factors, though. For one thing, if you live on a hillside like Coco and Emmett Mosley do, the smoke may blow away from your house pretty quickly. And if it doesn't, it's not a permanent air pollution. Eventually, the particles will fall to the ground. Now, bear with me while I play bad cop again. See, these particles, they're bad for the earth, too. Particularly, no pun intended, the particulate known as black carbon. Um, And that stuff is pretty worrisome, especially in areas like Vermont, where there's a lot of snow on the ground for part of the year. Um, We're worried about the black carbon falling on the snow and reducing the reflectivity of that surface. Usually, snow reflects heat back into the atmosphere. When black carbon lands on top, it absorbs the heat, melts snow, and contributes to climate change. On top of that, wood smoke contains other things that are bad for the environment, too, like methane. Of course, no matter what you burn, you're going to emit smoke. But as far as pollution is concerned, wood is nearly as dirty as coal. Which is weird, because incentives for modern wood heat projects, including the Goddard plant, they come from the state's so-called Clean Energy Development Fund. But that's a story for another day. All the drawbacks aside, there is some good news. And that is that not all wood heating systems produce the same levels of pollution. So if you heat with wood... How you do it can make a big difference in air quality. Emma Hansen, Vermont's Wood Energy Coordinator, says this. I always like to point out this one statistic, which is that residential wood fuel users use 53% of the wood that's burned in the state. But they create 94% of the particulate matter emissions. This is according to the Vermont Department of Environmental Conservation's Air Quality Division. And Emma says that statistic means two things. One, the big installations, like Goddard Colleges, actually burn quite cleanly. Another takeaway is that residential users really need to up their game. As in, most of us are burning super outdated stoves, or green, or moldy, or treated, or maybe painted wood that smokes and smolders instead of burning hot, or all of the above. 
And so as you're driving down the road and you see smoke coming out of chimneys, that's a sign that something isn't going perfectly right in that stove. Hmm. Even though it looks so sort of picturesque. It looks so homey and like it's out of a Norman Rockwell painting, yeah. but it's not good for air quality. Now, as good cop, I am here to tell you and our question asker Coco that there is hope because burning wood in 2019 doesn't have to be this way. Emma talks me through three categories of superior wood heat. From the one in a spectrum, you have the wood stove, as you described. And newer stoves are much better than old stoves. Many are certified by the Environmental Protection Agency for how cleanly and efficiently they burn. So if you're not sure if your stove is before 1990, it's not EPA certified. So you, that's kind of the general cutoff. So my uh, 1979 stove, definitely not. Was definitely yeah. not, yeah. Important PSA here, your luxurious open fireplace. Unfortunately, that is a huge guzzler of wood and actually pulls more hot air out of your chimney than it puts into your living space. A fireplace is the antithesis of a heating appliance. Anyway, after your modern wood stove, you've got the wood pellet stove. Instead of burning cordwood, the pellet stove runs on little pellets of processed wood. You buy them in big bags, and they kind of look like rabbit food. And so that's a little bit more user-friendly than a cordwood stove because you can just load it and it might run for as long as three days, depending on how large your hopper is. After that, there's the pellet boiler or furnace. What's cool about this is that if you have a conventional boiler or furnace, you can actually switch to wood pellets without having to replace your entire system. So it works exactly the same as your propane or oil system does now, meaning that a truck pulls up to your house a guy or a girl gets out and hooks up to your house, delivers fuel once or twice a year. Then with the touch of a thermostat, you heat your home with said fuel. And that's it. Residential pellet boilers do have slightly higher particulate emissions than oil or propane boilers. But the pellet boilers are a big leap ahead of outdated wood stoves. Here's how Emma compares the two. So one non-EPA certified wood stove creates as much particulate matter emissions as 200 pellet boilers. Really? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> and it's not just about emissions. Say you get a new wood stove. You might be burning half as much wood, and that saves you time and money. Now, upgrading to a new wood stove or a pellet stove or a pellet boiler isn't cheap. So to encourage Vermonters to make the switch and help meet our renewable energy goals, Efficiency Vermont and the Clean Energy Development Fund are offering financial incentives right now. You can save anywhere from $800 on a wood stove to $6,000 on a pellet boiler. Coincidentally, my household just took advantage of an incentive last month. We saved 800 bucks when we replaced our 40-year-old Vermont Castings Resolute with a new model from Hearthstone called the Green Mountain. Are you doing a lot of these stove change-outs? Yeah, there's a lot, yeah. One of the guys who came to install the new stove was Josh Grandboyce. He works for the Chimney Sweep Fireplace Shop in Barrie. He said of the five stoves they were installing that day, three were bought with incentives. But yeah, let this uh, warm up to room temperature before you put a fire in it. It's yeah. in the truck overnight, so it's really cold. Yeah, good call. All right, a quick recap. Here's what we know so far about wood heat. First, it's local and it's affordable. Next, using wood for heat creates demand for wood, and that can keep loggers employed and developers away from forests. 
but wood smoke does pollute, and that does affect the environment and human health. However, if you burn the right wood the right way, you can reduce the amount of pollution. And if you're like the Mosleys and you live far away from any neighbors who might suffer from asthma or lung disease, air pollution may not be a major factor for you. Maybe this is a good time to point out that、um, we should be talking. What is our ultimate goal, or what are we measuring? Andy Friedland is a forest ecosystem scientist at Dartmouth College, and I argue that what we ultimately care about is carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere, CO2. Andy says because forests grow back in New England when they're managed well, it's fair to say wood heat here is generally renewable. But he says whether wood heat is carbon neutral is a different question. And just a warning: we're going to get specific with the science, so stay with me. First of all,、um, coal and wood are about the same in terms of their carbon. If you strictly talk about how much CO2 is released per unit of energy, Friedland says coal and wood. Both emit a lot of CO2. Most people don't realize that. Much of that carbon will be reabsorbed if a new tree is allowed to grow in its place, but that takes roughly sixty to a hundred years, and we may not have that much time. In October, the UN's panel on climate change announced we humans need to reduce CO2 emissions dramatically over the coming decade. If we don't, we'll face higher sea levels, more drought, and more days of extreme heat. But the trouble is, as we mentioned earlier, it might take 60, 80, 100 years for that tree you cut down to be replaced by a tree of equivalent size. So, what about in that intervening? Hundred years, and what about today? When, if you agree with me, that climate change is an extremely important issue, if not the most important issue facing humanity, what do we do in that intervening time? On top of that, Andy says cutting wood speeds up the emission of CO2 in a way that growing a new tree won't fix. It lets more sunlight into the forest, which speeds up decomposition, and increasingly, scientists like Andy say it also affects the carbon stored deep in the soil. All of which means more carbon is being released to the atmosphere. So Andy says burning wood for heat is not carbon neutral, though. If you have sixty to a hundred years to wait, it's a lot closer to being carbon neutral than burning fossil fuel. But wait a minute. Yes, wait a minute. Andy is not saying you should stop burning wood. We live in Vermont. We need heat. No energy source is clean. This is one of Andy's favorite mantras. All energy choices are lousy. Think about natural gas. It may burn cleaner than wood, but what about the energy that goes into getting it out of the ground and into your furnace? For many Vermonters, wood fuel grows literally on their property. So, don't tell me about that clean solar energy that's coming from your backyard. I mean, I do. I have photovoltaics. I have a Solaflex tracker in my backyard. But there was energy needed to make it. Like a lot of people we talked to for this episode, Andy is fond of diversification. He has a solar tracker, a wood-burning stove, and an oil furnace. But he says the number one most important thing you can do is be efficient. Turn down the thermostat, insulate your home, and if you can, upgrade your technology for efficiency. Whatever your fuel. And it could well be in certain circumstances, using wood might be the best of a lot of lousy alternatives. 
After reporting this episode out, I gave Coco Mosley a call back to tell her what we found. And after I went through everything we learned, she told me, There's no way that I we would change and not burn wood. Tell me more about that. You know, I probably would be criticized in terms of the environmental lens that we're talking about, but um, I feel like with, with the wood stove, I just feel warmer. Coco said she and Emmett have been talking about getting a new, more modern wood stove. And they're insulating their basement, too. But the more she thinks about it, the more she feels like this. It makes winter in the Northeast kind of tolerable because you have this central hearth, which I think kind of gets at some sort of elemental existence for for us and for humans in general. Right? Hmm. Fire equals warmth. <laughs> Um, whereas just turning on a thermostat, I don't know if it has the same um, the same kind of heart. So we can quantify carbon and efficiency and air quality until the flames die down. But coziness, how do you measure that? Thanks so much for listening to the show. Emily Corwin reported this episode with me back in 2019. Since then, Coco and Emmett Mosley have upgraded to a more modern wood stove. They also did some weatherization in their basement and attic and got a heat pump for backup heat. Coco wrote to us, quote, So much of this work was propelled by what we learned from Brave Little State. We wanted to keep heating with wood, but we knew we had to do it better. Coco has also started a new job as the director of Bristol's Lawrence Memorial Library, thus joining the ranks of the many librarians who have been question askers on our show. Here's to lifelong learning. If you want to learn about air quality and wood heat incentives, head to our website, bravelittlestate.org. The state's rebates have changed since 2019, but there's still lots on offer. This episode was edited by Lynn McRae. Our digital producer is Elodie Reed, and we have engineering support from Chris Albertine. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music today by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Jake Marin, Diana Frederick, and Amy Noyce. I'm Angela Evansy. We'll be back soon with a question about broadband. Hi, I'm Maggie Epstein, and COVID-19 has really brought to the forefront the inequities in broadband coverage in Vermont. So what is really being done? What concrete steps are being done to address this? Until then, remember, be brave. Ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.